Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. And we are ending um, a crazy week at our house. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was It's our youngest daughter's birthday this week, and when I yeah, named all, her... All week. All <laughs> week. When I named her after Princess Aurora, um, she really took it to heart, man. And that kid wants her birthday celebrated hugely. Doesn't uh, Princess Aurora go to sleep sometimes, too? <laughs> Where's yeah, she, that? Where's that? And I think it's interesting that she's my favorite Disney princess. Well, maybe it's just my favorite movie. Because as a Disney princess, like she is awake for 18 minutes of the whole movie, and she has 18 lines. Interesting factoid. Yeah, it's more about like what prince who's the prince in that charming? Is that charming? No, it's Philip. Oh. Charming. Yeah. They're all the same. No, no. Prince Philip is great. He meets her, he's captivated by her voice and her like love of like the fact the woodland creatures um care about her and they dance and he's willing to like throw away his title to be with who he thinks is a commoner when she's actually a princess and he doesn't even know and then he goes and fights for truth and battles the evil sorceress who i also love um so i'm a little conf- conflicted on that part but so great and like the tchaikovsky score in the background oh my gosh and they made the artwork um to reflect like um, like medieval kind of tapestries and they're, everything is layered. It's just, it's a masterpiece. Well, I got really nerdy there for a minute. <laughs> I have watched it so many times, watched all the documentaries, like I'm in deep, I'm in deep. And Maleficent, man, she's an excellent villain. Like the older I get, the more I relate to her. Like she's surrounded by fools and idiots and uh, she has a great color aesthetic, the black and the purple. I'm a big fan yeah she's just awesome and she's like you could have at least invited me like it was poor etiquette on king stefan's part so hey so she gets mad and pricks her with a and have you ever seen the movie what there's some apples um, um no it, she steals talking. her steals her voice oh my gosh <laughs> i know you think you're so funny <laughs> she turns into a beast and they dance and there's a rose are you done? Yeah, I think I'm done now. Don't mock my favorite movie. Anyway, uh, so our daughter is named after Princess Aurora, and this has been her birthday week, and we're not done yet, folks. So uh, we're taking a little break from all of that to record the podcast. So because of all that excitement, let's get right into news. And actually, Jason has our first piece of news today on this episode. I do. Um, see, so you should know what's going on. Uh, usually when I bring the news, it's bad news. Um, so yeah, that's what we got going on. Holy Grail Games is actually closing down. Um, if you don't know what games they publish, they do museum. Well, they did museum, encyclopedia, Rallyman, Rising Five, and their last huge Kickstarter was Titan. Um, museum's a pretty popular game. Rallyman's a pretty popular game. But the reason they're closing down is bad business decisions that are partnerships, I guess, that they made. Um, their logistics or shipping partner, that 
uh, wasn't a good relationship and COVID. COVID hit them pretty hard and being a small company, it was harder for them to bounce back. So yeah, unfortunately, another board game publisher going down, but I'm sure these games are, some of these games are pretty good. So I'd imagine they would get picked up by another, another company and licensed out or whatever goes down when a uh, publisher shuts down, but sad news, but at least we'll have the games to play going forward. So Holy Grail, Holy Grail games is no more. RIP, RIP, Holy Grail games. Um, yeah, I, I thought I saw Encyclopedia like trending on the BGG hotness or something the other day. Well, it's like it's super new for one, so that's probably that's why. why. Yeah, not that that would ever happen in board games where things are only popular because they just came out. It's crazy too because like Titan, that was like huge and it was on Kickstarter. It got a ton of buzz, but it took three years to get that thing delivered. Oh my! And it was expensive, and the dice tower gave it a bad review so i don't know if that you know made some of the buzz go away and all that but yeah i don't know do people pay attention to the dice tower or maybe i'm just the only person that does it yeah like when they give something a bad review it it's usually not good but but nobody's like ripping them a new one online for giving things bad reviews interesting yeah apparently not or they just don't care that Uh. could be it they probably just don't care I don't care either if people get mad at me or what yeah, I say. That's true. But I think people actually give the Dice Tower money, so I feel like they'd be mad at them. <laughs> that's true. Yes. They do get money from lots of different people. Hey, I don't want that money. I want I want to be free independent. I do whatever I want. Ain't nobody footing my bill. That's how you know that what the board game mechanics says is completely unbiased because nobody's going to give us money anyway. <laughs> Even if we would accept it. That's true. I mean, not that I would turn down your money if you give me some, but, you know. No, we're not taking money. Then we can say what we want. And I'm like, well, why why are you mad? You got no, you know, horse in this race, dog in this fight. We just can't talk about asthma day. That's sticky. And apparently people don't like when we talk about fantasy flight. That's sticky. Um when you Eagle, talk, Eagle Griffin, Eagle Griffin. They, they don't like that. Uh, yeah, it, just a couple. It's fine. Mm, you know, as that's like ninety percent <laughs> of all board game publishers. Yeah, that's true. We're doing a good job, everybody. Uh, so let's talk about Kickstarter news. Um, some interesting choices this week. The first one, I know Jason's pumped. Uh, because you know what? Some people just need a little Sasquatch in their lives. And the first game I want to talk about is Bigfoot Board Game. Uh, so Bigfoot is hiding in a secret location. So this is a competitive game where you're trying to find what Bigfoot's secret location is. You got to find him. I mean, you, you got to hunt down the Squatch. So none of the players know the location. I don't know how you choose that. I don't know if it's just like a randomization of cards. I don't know. But you explore this map for like Bigfoot activity and you try to gather your evidence so you can eliminate locations where you know Bigfoot isn't until you find out where Bigfoot is. And so you can get gear like there's a country store which has like different gear like uh, surveillance drones. I mean, you can get it or you can go old school like a compass. Um, you can get like baits for Bigfoot like apples or like a Bigfoot call blaster. Um 
And then you go travel to a location on the map. Like there are these little cute, adorable truck meeples that you can drive to get there. Um, Other places you have to hike in because, you know, Bigfoot likes it remote. And then you wait and night happens and Bigfoot becomes active. So there's Z20 that's included. um, And that allows like activity markers to be placed out on the map. So if you are where Bigfoot activity was, you can make like a scouting roll with these special dice that they kind of go with your like condition tracks. I don't know what those conditions are. I can't quite tell. Maybe health, maybe like endurance. I don't the middle one looks like a skunk, so I'm not really sure if that's your stench and that scares Bigfoot away. I don't know. But you roll the dice and um that can help you gather evidence. So you use this like decoder because everyone has like a like a Bigfoot evidence notebook kind of thing and you you can decode in there with these location cards and somehow these symbols there's only one there's like it's like i don't know 12 symbols on this card only one of them matches will match up at a time so that's how you know like what's at the location or something i don't i don't completely understand it and then bigfoot moves and then you draw some explorer cards um that kind of like go with the lay of the land and that's it (laughs) oh a handbook a bigfoot handbook so you are like eliminating symbols finding evidence searching for bigfoot i think it sounds really fun uh this is a first time creator which i think is really cool um it really needs some help i think because i don't know if it's going to actually fund but it, it does look good. It does look good. So if you are interested, if you want to go squatching, um, you know, there's something about that Bigfoot man. He's mysterious. Uh, check out this Kickstarter. Or if you like kind of like those location games and hunting for things, six days left, 60 bucks for the Bigfoot board game. Yeah, I I don't understand why this isn't funding because this looks fantastic. Uh, I just looked at it again. It's so looks so good. Uh, it's tracks crazy theme um it's got good components like there's uh the truck meeples there's hiker meeples there's a bigfoot meeple i mean i mean the decoder book is cool too like that's like my favorite part i think it it reminds me of that shakespeare game that i have where you play solo and you're putting these cards on top of other cards and if a dot shows up then you know you're in the right location it's the same kind of deal um it looks great i don't know if the price is too high i don't know people were scared the first time uh, creator. I don't know if they think the name is stupid because the name is pretty dumb. Um, what are you going to call it? Like going squatching? I mean, like what? Any Bigfoot board game? That sounds so dumb. I don't know anything but that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. And I, it looks I great. Yeah. It looks great. Yeah. Because um, we always wanted a, a game about Bigfoot. That's what you didn't know you were missing. I do wonder what sound Bigfoot makes. I'm going to Google it and put maybe I'll put that in the episode, like a, a Bigfoot sound. Oh, my gosh. They don't know what sound Bigfoot makes because he doesn't exist. People in Washington I said it. know. People I in Washington know. I said it. Bigfoot is not real. Now, Nessie, you, I can totally buy that. But Bigfoot, You don't no. know. Other people know. It's on Google. I guarantee it. Gosh. Oh, oh, I have no doubt. They got people who said they found, like, Squatch Scat. And I'm like, that's probably from a bear, you <laughs> dummy. 
It's probably some dude out there dropping deuces in the woods. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> your random crap that you left somewhere. That's probably me, yeah. Like, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get something completely different. Out of Japan, which y'all know I love, and it's got the most adorable art. So, of course, I had to pick it. Because I also don't know that I completely understand how this game works. But it's so cute, I'm willing to figure it out myself. And this is called Trick Takers Kings. This is by Hiroki Yamamoto. Hirokin, apparently. A new designer out of Japan. And this is a trick-taking game. I think it plays two to... Oh, I can't remember. Two to six, maybe? No, two to four? Good job, Katie. I looked at this just the other day. Now I can't remember. It plays some number. Oh, two to five. Two to five. But it's very quick. 30 to 40 minutes, which you kind of expect to have a trick taker. So there's like you choose kind of a set of royalty by color. So there's white and red and blue and green and black. And let me tell you, this is like um, like Sanrio and Pokemon had a baby kind of artwork. Just us. Uh, these adorable creatures and like these cute outfits and each color has kind of a different theme to it. Oh my gosh. I love them so much. So you kind of, you choose a set of royalty based on a color. Um, and then each of those King, Queen and Jack have some kind of um, either special power or like bidding condition uh, points wise on the bottom. Then you're going to scout three characters and these characters. Oh my gosh there's this one called resistance that i think is a rabbit wearing like a mushroom hat <sighs> so cute um the gambler is like this teddy bear in like a waistcoat and a top hat with a cane come on are you kidding me adorable like so cute even the devil is like this actually kind of adorable clown and i hate clowns but it's really cute. Um, so you're going to choose, you choose three of those characters and they also have um, abilities on the bottom or they also have like bidding kind of conditions. So that kind of makes up your party. So you've got your King Queen Jack and then the three scouts like characters that you chose. And then you get regular hands of cards, which the cards are also pretty too, but it's just numbers. So then you bid. And you predict how many you, wins you can get out of five tricks. So there's like bidding cards, but there you can also use some of your cards. Like they have skills that can give you extra points on bids or they can kind of affect how you play a turn. So you can use those, um, I think. Um, the scoring, the points are cookies. I mean, oh, it's so cute. So like you check once you're done with the tricks which high card wins you check your bidding prediction and you gain po bonus points if you're correct um and I, yeah I, like i said i don't completely know how to play it but trick taking game you're drafting these using card abilities i i feel like that's not super difficult and the artwork, oh my gosh, guys, it's so cute, right? Another thing that's great about this is the price point. So to just get a compact box, 100 of the normal cards, $20. If you want like wooden cookie tokens and some special, 65 normal, 35 special, $35. 
So if you like tricking, taking games, if you like adorable Japanese artwork like me, check out Trick Takers Kings. There are 11 days left in that Kickstarter. And again, like I said, just the basic box is $20. Yeah, I'm super into trick-taking games. The only thing that would make this better if maybe it had a Bigfoot theme. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. We don't need Bigfoot (laughs) trick-taking. Why don't we? The five of Scott and the three of (laughs) Fur. Yes. The three, the two of whatever sound they make. Did you look it up? No, I'm going to look it up after. I'm not going to do it right now because I don't want to accidentally play it. It becomes a big deal and then all that stuff. You think uh, it's copyrighted? The Bigfoot sound? <laughs> no, I just don't want it to be distracting. <laughs> but yeah, this this trick-taking game does look cool. I like trick-taking games. I like card games. Uh, did you look at a, the art on this? I did. It, it is adorable. Thank you. I just wanted to reiterate how adorable the art is. Okay, and that's all I have for news. All right, so let's talk about a few games that we played. Uh, we have one that is a recent release, and we have one that's not even out yet. That's what? right. We are Call of the Future. That's what we do here. Um, but the first game we're going to talk about is the one that's actually out that you can get, and it's from Pandasaurus, and it's called Skate Summer. And this is kind of like Tony Hawk. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the board game, sort of. It's a similar theme. And what you're doing in in this is you are pushing your luck a little bit by playing these different colored cards, or three different colored cards, to your player board to try to um, earn, like, fireball skate wheels things (laughs) and and other kind of things. I'm sure that's the actual name. (laughs) But... But what you're trying to do is you're also trying to push your luck a little bit because every time you play a card down, you're going to move closer to either to the left or to the right. And then people are going to roll dice that could make you also move farther in that direction or back the other way. So you're trying to keep your balance as much in the center as you can to not fall off because if you fall out, you have to bail. Um, that doesn't give you a cool bonus of moving up one of your scoring tracks um, and you're out. So you can't play any more cards. It lets you mo- You can't move as far. But if you stay in all the way through and you land, you get a free upgrade, which is going to move up one of these three colored tracks, which brings you to the next phase, which is you score points for all the cards that you played down. Every card is worth the number of cards you played times where they are on the track. You get a pile of points that way. And then you're going to use the cards to move around the track. The track has different hexes. They each have an icon, which is either a red, like, grind pole. I think there's a blue ramp. And then I forget what yellow is. But, um... You play a card, you can move into that space if the space needs that color. And you're just trying to go around and collect these different tokens for some area or um, uh, area control, kind of, or have the most of these tokens. And you're also trying to spell the word skater by getting to these spaces to score a pile of points. Um, that's the game. I personally think the best part of this game is the skateboarding part where you're playing the cards down and trying not to fall down. That's super fun. I like to push your luck. I love the, you know not knowing what's going to happen when people roll those dice. Every card you play down, more dice gets rolled. It makes it trickier. I love that piece. The board part is okay. Uh, I can take it or leave it, but I really like playing the cards down. So, you know, and the game seemed to be like 40 minutes, so it wasn't super long. I do appreciate that. I like the colors. I like the theme a lot. I really dig this game. So how do you feel about Skate Summer? Uh, The more I think about it, the more I was not impressed by it. Um... 
And it's not like I, I think the theme is cool and I, I'm glad that someone took that on. I just feel like it was just a bunch of mechanics kind of thrown together, not in a way that I think is good. <laughs> I mean, I don't I feel bad because I can't disparage gay. I don't want to talk bad about it, but um I, I just I think that the two pieces together don't work well together. It it has, and for me, like it has that race to a certain number of points. I always just like that. That's just not my bag. Um, and, and that's just me. I know that. Because I also, I feel like when you have a game that does something like that, it dictates how you have to play. And y'all know I hate that so much. Uh, so... <laughs> That that is probably why I didn't I, I didn't really like it. I mean, maybe I need to try it more. I don't know. It I I I would rather not play this again. That's that's what I have to say about that. But other people <laughs> might like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to play it again. I like it. But really? I, yeah, I think part of it. The reason that maybe it didn't feel as good is we didn't have those cards shuffled that good. At the beginning, so you know you were getting by round two, people were getting like twenty points from cards, and that you know kind of sped up the game because you're at the mercy of hitting that point threshold. I think there's yeah, too too much know. luck that can't be mitigated in it, and that also makes it kind of a bummer too. I I don't know. I'm not a fan. I can I can see that. I don't mind the luck, but yeah, I, I can see that. I I do wish it was a little longer. Because I felt like I couldn't do as much as I wanted to do out on the board. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's very true. All right, so now we're going to go into the future with the game that's not out yet. But somehow we have one. Actually, we have two. But <laughs> we, we should only have one. We're on um, that later. <laughs> and this is, game is called Bonsai. And it's from DV Games. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Italian. That's why they go by DV Games now. And this is a game about cultivating a bonsai tree and the way you're going to be doing that is you're going to be drafting some cards from this board in the center that's going to give you either more room in your toolbox to store tiles more options to play tiles or they're going to give you more tiles that you can get or let you play bonus tiles and then depending on where you draft those cards from you may earn some tiles from just taking the cards where they sit or if you don't want to take a card and some tiles, you can play tiles that you have on your board into your bonsai tree to try to meet different criteria to score points. You're trying to get uh, flowers out on the tree to score a pile of points, a bunch of leaves, some fruit, uh, trying to get certain patterns of stuff to get these extra in-game bonuses. Um, that's it. That's, that's the game. Draw a card, play some tiles. That's it. Uh, it's really quick. Um, it might be too quick. That might be my complaint. Uh, but it's enjoyable. It's super easy to teach. And I mean, it's not going to burn your brain at all. It's just a good, fun time with a really fun theme. So what did you feel about Bonsai? I mean, thematically, it's what I love, right? Asian theme, especially like little bonsai trees. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do this. Um, and so in my classic style i was very concerned about cultivating this very balanced cute looking bonsai tree um i thought i was trying to meet goals evidently i wasn't because i did terribly 
I think it is too quick. And we played it at four. And so I'd like to play it at two. And I know you're supposed to limit the cards on two. But I would play with all the cards. Because I feel like you can't hardly meet even like a variety of goals in as short as as it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe it, it uh, uh, likes skate summer or whatever summer skater park thing skate summer skate yeah okay okay like that game i was terrible at it but unlike that game i want to play this one again i don't know if that's a good selling point but that is the difference for me i I don't know like it was fine i just felt like it it didn't give me it didn't let me do anything uh the drafting the cards was not that fun uh the only fun part was really growing the bonsai tree i guess which is the whole game no, because you have to get tiles. You have to be able to get tiles in order to you have play. To get tiles to grow the bonsai tree. Right. That you have to get tiles by play, doing the stupid card thing, which is not fun. But I mean, the game. Yeah. I'll play the game. I just I would I like Skate Summer. I think more than what that. you yeah. are out of your mind. No, no. Oh my gosh! Further proof that you wouldn't know a good game if it punched you in the face. I'm gonna tell Clemens Franz. You tell Clemens Franz. <laughs> Both of these games look way better than anything that he can do. <laughs> let's let's settle down now. Let's not hurt Clemens's feelings. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I mean, I don't think we have anything more to say on these games. Um, no. We'll just we'll just keep going. Move on. Um. So speaking of Clemens Franz. Oh, since we missed last week, we wanted to, we've been kind of sitting on this topic actually for a while, and it is our favorite board game artist. Now, obviously, Clemens Franz is the best board game artist. I mean, honestly, have you seen, have you seen the front of Orleans, Marco Polo? Oh, wait, he didn't do Marco Polo. Yes, he did. No, that's Dennis Lohan. That's Dennis Lohan. Oh, there's, there's. There's two Orleon. shining stars here. Yeah, Orleon, Newton, Orleon. Lorenzo. Yeah, I mean, classic. I'm just looking at our ugly shelf to see what he's on. <laughs> right, no one can touch KF. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got a nickname for him. But Jason and I have compiled three other artists that we really enjoy, and kind of um, the criteria we really looked at is. Are these artists that consistently we like their art? We find that their art is very uh, identifiable to them. It's something that we we have played some of at least a few of the games that they have done, um, and it's not like a one off kind of game. Like we will, we may mention them later um, in our honorable mentions, but for our top three after Clemens. Um, we had we picked artists that we really enjoyed kind of their whole catalog of art. So Jason's gonna get us started. Yeah, so my number three is probably one of the hottest artists that's around right now. He's on everything. His art is everywhere. And it's the Miko. I don't know how to actually say his name, and I'm not gonna try because I'm terrible with names. If it's not like Jason Smith, I can't say it. Um, but he's done art for... It's a good thing you have that name then. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good with that name. Uh, the Miko's done art for Endless Winter, which is, you know, a new hotness game. 
all the North Sea games, the West Kingdom games, the South Tigris series, the Valeria games, and Spell Smashers. Um, and if you look at any of those games, again, I'm not going to go into detail explaining it. This is an audio medium, so trying to explain art could be a moot point. But if you look at any of those games, you will be able to see his art style across all of it. And you can definitely tell that one person did all this art because the characters all look the same. Sim- not the same, but similar. Like the buildings and the backgrounds all look similar. And it's just it's an engaging art style, and I like it. So my number three is the Miko. Yeah, I guess that's another thing I, I meant to mention at the top is, you know, we should have had like Fred or someone with actual art cred on here to talk about artistic styles and different kind of characteristics because that is not one of our things. I didn't read up on it like I probably should have. So we're just going to have to describe it as best we can. And then we, we've been trying to give lots of examples so that you can go um, look up those games and see the artwork for yourself. I'm just going to bombastically say random uh, art styles when I start saying oh my, my other two. Yeah. <sighs> Wonderful. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> my number three is an artist that maybe violates my guidelines a little bit because I personally have only played one of his games. Um, but gosh, every time I see one of his games on a shelf, I am drawn to it because I love his art style. And that's Ryan Lockett. Um, I've played Artifacts, Inc., which there really isn't very much art on there. Um, Jason's apparently played some Deep Vents game that I've never heard of, but he likes to bring it up all the time whenever I mention. It's the only one. Ryan Lockett games. It's the only one that I played before Artifacts, Inc., so I had to like keep that in my pocket. It's like whipping out his Ryan Lockett card. Ooh, Deep Vents, <laughs> Deep Vents. Uh, but he is more known for Above and Below, Near and Far, Sleeping Gods, Islebound, Megaland. And the the box covers alone are just fantastic. He doesn't use like a lot of really like um, clear like outlined uh, objects and scenery. It it's softer, almost like a oh a watercolor feel to it. Like it's just I love the way it looks. It's it's just has this warm, inviting kind of look to it. Sleeping gods. It's just. There's something so intriguing about the color palettes that he uses. I just like that style. And that style is very distinctive. Now, I've wanted to play some of his games. Uh, I just haven't. Uh, But part of the reason why I do want to play them is because they look like the box art looks so good. And even the card art, like it just it's just beautiful. Like it kind of has like that dream like landscape look to it. And I'm really intrigued by that. So my number three is Ryan Lockett. Yeah, uh, his box art definitely is almost second to none. Like I think his art is really good. I mean, second to Clemens Franz. Well, that's true. I mean, he definitely draws his people a little better than Clemens Franz. (laughs) (laughs) So my number two is postmodern cubism. That's what it is. I don't know. I made that up. Stop. Like, what? (laughs) Uh, My number two is Andrew Bosley. He's done his big game is Everdell, but he's also done Tapestry, Emergence of the Dark Road, Half of Unconscious Mind, the second edition of Santa's Workshop, which 
I don't know much about that, but the box looks fantastic. And Tunguru. Uh, but on this list, Everdell, just Everdell by itself, and Milo Everdell, the art in that game is amazing. Every card has super cute little animals and little buildings. Amazing detail. The board looks good. The box cover is spectacular. Um, My Little Everdell takes those creatures and makes them even more adorable. Uh, Tapestry. Not a ton of art here except for the box, but the box looks great. Uh, Merchants of the Dark Road. It has a killer vibe to it as well. I really like Andrew Bosley's art and can't wait to see more games with it on there. And hopefully... When we get Unconscious Mind, it'll be amazing. So, yeah, my number two, Andrew Bosley. Did you back that? I did, yes. What? Uh, yeah, Andrew Bosley art, like, uh, Everdell is enough. It's so good. He can only improve on the Santa's Workshop artwork because I hope well, he didn't he, do the first yeah. one. was not uh, good. No, I don't know who did that, but yeah, it's it's. Well, Bless I mean, Rio Grande's not going to shell out money to get somebody like Andrew Bosley. Come on, that's true. Um, yeah, I I am a big a big fan of the way Everdell looks. It's beautiful. Um, the creatures are adorable. You, you know, I love the cute the cuties. I think of all the games that I put on there, Tunguru is probably the weakest looking one. Um. It's I not think bad. I like that one. Yeah, it still there. looks good. It just doesn't look as good as the other ones. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Okay. Uh, my number two, I at first was kind of surprised that I liked, I ended up liking this artist um, because the first game I think I played with his artwork was The Gallerist. And that's Eno Tool. And The Gallerist is super minimalist looking but the more i play the gallerist which i really enjoy the more i like that art style because i feel like it plays into the game's theme so well and i think that's why i really love eno tools art because it is kind of a big variety but that's because it goes so well with the different themes of the games that he's done. So Fool's Gold was another one we had early on, a big $5 Black Friday kind of deal. And I was like, man, this is art. like, it looks good. It looks like the gold rush kind of stuff. It just, it just suits that. It's got these, this really interesting lettering. It's got these uh, lots of tan looking slightly gold colors. Like it just, uh, even like the cards with the different gems on them, they have this inter- interesting like scroll work kind of around. I-, I don't know. It just has that old timey Wild West gold rush kind of look to it, which is great because it, I think that goes to the theme. Scarlet Pimpernel. I mean, Clinic. Clinic, again, almost looks like, you know, signs that you would have on like in hospitals and on, um, you know, patient care places like he just does that really well lisboa has more like ornate and rococo as well that ornate kind of style carnegie you know that new like age of steam look weather machine is this really like whimsical and yet almost like a steampunk feel like i'm thinking of what the weather the little like scientists look like with their cute little like tiny spectacles like i there is something about his artwork, and I don't know that I would pick up like prints or anything, but the way that he combines his art with 
the games and their theme, I think is just it's just really excellent. So my number two is Eno Tool. Yeah, I think of all those that are listed here, I really like the way Lisboa looks. The whole board looks like a like a fancy ornate tile. I think it looks really nice. Um, Scarlet Pimpernel. The best part about that game was his art. <laughs> it's um, true. Yeah, that, that game, game was a big fat disappointment, yeah. and I was real sad. It but looked the fantastic. Art though. was good. Yeah, yeah that was super good. Yeah, he's he's done tons of games. I'm. I think we listed most of the ones that we played, at least that we know of. There's probably some that we have on our shelf that I don't even know, but yeah, <laughs> that I, could be true. I do like you know tool. So my number one. Um, this is the first one I wrote down because this is probably my favorite board game artist right now. It's weird. It's funky, and. It is Weberson Santiago, uh, and he the game that we, that I like the most is the Bloody Inn, but he also has done art for Whirling Witchcraft, Fuji, a new edition of Coup, a game called Quest, and a game called Sail that's on Kickstarter right now uh, from Board Game Tables or All Play. And if you look at these boxes, they're gonna have really cool colors. Like he he loads it up with color. It's always like a single color palette and everything. Like Bloody Inn is red. Whirling Richcraft is like orange and fading into purple. Fuji is yellow. So like he picks a, a cool color palette, puts some really funky like people with weird faces and shapes, but I love the art. Uh his website, you can go there. He he does some kids' books. He's got some prints that you can buy. Fantastic art. Uh if you're into the Bloody Inn artwork. I say check him out because I love it. It's really good. So number one, Weberson Santiago. Yeah, um, he like Fuji looks super good. Like I'm always intrigued by that game because of that box art. Um, and the new version of Koo, oh, the way that those characters are drawn. I I love that. It has it's like gothic, but in uh, like a completely different way like when i think gothic i think like edward gory which i who i love i love his artwork but this is gothic done with like picasso-esque yeah right? with like uh, that's what i'm thinking like different color periods there's something else there's maybe it's i'm thinking like the, some dutch um painters that did like these really interesting tints they aren't like full-on like it's color, but it's just done in these really kind of interesting shades. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm a big fan also, but not as big of a fan as I am. Well, of Clemens Franz, but my number one, aside from Clem, is <laughs> I'm like giving him all these nicknames. I'm so getting restraining order <laughs> after this episode. Big I'm like, K, oh. my boy Clem. I know. I uh, I I hear the door now. <laughs> It's an officer. Um, my number one is Vincent Dutrait. Uh, Vincent Dutrait art is so recognizable. Um, Atlantis Rising, Broom Service, which I think is in some ways an outlier. Elysium, Jaipur, Madam Ching, Museum, The 100 Tory, I love. Rising Five, he's the other half of Unconscious Mind, and Lewis and Clark. Um, his... I was try I've been trying to figure out a way to describe what his art style is like. It reminds me of like colored pencils. No, I don't know why I keep saying colored pencils. I disagree. 
Well, in Elysium, he only did the Athena faction, I guess, to be fair. Let's yeah, come back yeah, to yeah. that. Just, just one deck of cards. Um, it's, it reminds me of like, I'm not golden book illustrations, but like old school uh, children's illustrations. Like there's very defined uh, outlines for people and things. Um, but like, yes, the the color inside is not like you can tell it's super separate from the outline. Like, gosh, I, I wish I had I wish I had the vocabulary, the artistic vocabulary to talk about his artwork. Like it just reminds me of something and I can't figure out what that is. But you can see a box, you can see a card and you're like, oh, that's Vincent's trait. Like you absolutely know. There's just something about the way he designs game like his art uh, for games like it just it's like this really interesting mix between realism and like a a a more like imaginative almost like childlike way of looking at figures and things and i really like that i i just like that that really kind of unique combo so that's why vincent dutrait is my number one after clemens all right so while you were talking i googled vincent dutrait and I don't okay. want to say I told you so, but there are pictures of him coloring with, wait for it, color pencils. Boom. Yes, I'm face. sure at some time in his life, Vincent Detroit has used colored pencils, Jason. He's drawing a board game art picture with colored pencil in hand. Postmodern colored pencilism is what oh he does. Oh my gosh, you don't think that at some point that, like, transitions to some kind of computer generated artwork colored pencils i don't know if you heard that heard me say that before gosh you were ridiculous jason thinks it looks like colored pencils i don't think it always looks like colored pencils (laughs) it always looks like colored pencils you were whatever why don't you talk about your honorable mentions (laughs) and step off mr detroit i like his art his art's fantastic i'm just me and clemens franz gonna have a powwow about mr detroit's art we're gonna decide what it is (laughs) All right. So uh, my first honorable mention is kind of along the same lines as Clemens Franz. Uh, He does a lot. When you think of Euro games, it's Clemens Franz followed by maybe this guy, and that's Dennis Lohausen. He's done Quacks. I forgot to pull him up, but Quacks of Quedlinburg is the the main one that I'm thinking of. We just talked about Marco Polo. Oh, yeah. Marco Polo. Yeah. So... Sort of like Clemens Franz, but less cartoony. It's more realistic than Clemens, but I like Dennis Lohausen. Again, it's not like the most eye-catching, but I enjoy it. Uh, Manny Trimbley is my next one, and the only reason I put him on the list is because of Wonderland's War, and I think the art in that game is fantastic. And But he's also done Dice... Um, Throne. Geez, what is that? Dice Throne. Yeah, I was going to say Forge, but that's not it. Uh, no. Dice Throne, which has some really cool characters. Uh, similar to the Wonderland's War, but I haven't played that. Uh, I also have Beth Sobel on here. She's done tons of games, Viticulture, Cascadia, Wingspan, Calico. So she's really, she does a lot of like um, scenery and like nature nature art, and I really think her stuff looks good. Wingspan is fantastic. All the birds are different. It's really cool. And then my last one, is I don't think Katie likes this one that much, but I enjoy nope. it. And it's Piero. And he's done the art for Dice Town, a game called Kiro. Um, I'm 
trying to think. There's one more, but I can't remember. But Dice Town's a big one that I like. He draws like comic book looking figures almost, but I enjoy it. So my last one that I'm going to talk about is Piero. Um, my honorable mentions are mostly because these are just like one-offs. People that have done one game that I think is gorgeous, but that's it. Um, or I am ambivalent about their games. Like they have some art that I love and some that I hate. So the first one is Jeremy Flurry, um, who did Yamatai. That game is so pretty. And again, of course, you know, I love the look of Asian themed games. Um, so that's why I love this one. Miguel Coimbra did several that are really beautiful, like wonder book, see you cloud, small world. I like all the different factions and stuff in that, but there's also some really ugly ones, like seven wonders, seven wonders duel. Like they're fine looking, but they're just kind of seven wonders is hideous. Like that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. It's gross. Um, so that's why he didn't make my list. Uh, canvas, uh, Luan Hyun, um, that's what I'm guessing. That game, undeniably beautiful. Now, is it a good game? No. Come at me. Fine. It's not a good game. It's not. But it's so very pretty. So I feel like the art should be mentioned because the gameplay certainly shouldn't be. Um, and then last, Jade Mosh did uh, Kanagawa. And that... Oh, that game is so pretty. And it is about painting also. And so the artwork, I think, really has to be beautiful. And it absolutely freaking is. Like, it is, it's so gorgeous um, that I don't, I don't even know if I love the game that much. It's not bad, but I don't want to play it all the time. But it's just so beautiful to look at all the cards and the box art, like, it's it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I was I was looking around back here, and mm-hmm. we really do have some ugly games. <laughs> we really well, we, do. I feel like we talk about how much we like hideous games, and as much as I really like beautiful art too, that's what kills me is that so <laughs> many of our favorite games are just the most hideous things I've ever seen in my life, it, unless they've gotten like a new nice shiny eagle griffin version which we will again never get the beauty of that because we made eagle griffin mad and and we're cheap so no we didn't do anything they did it to themselves calm down don't get me started Uh, i'm trying i'm I'm working on mending that relationship let's just move (laughs) on let's just move on but beautiful absolutely beautiful games and a lot of the games that we really enjoy they have gotten to be good looking to match which i think is the other thing is a lot of the the artists that we picked also do good games and i think that that's that is so key i really am disappointed because i think that the box art that is your first chance to draw somebody into a game is it shallow probably okay get off me but that is the way it is that is your chance that's your selling point so quit putting ugly crap on there or if you're going to have a beautiful game, like make it good for crying out loud. Like when that combo is together, um, which a lot of like, especially our like, you know, tool, Vincent Detroit, like Andrew Bosley, like those games that they have put their artwork on are quality, like good, good games to play. Um, 
And when that combination really is there, like, I think that that that's really an unstoppable thing in the industry for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of our games are ugly because a lot of our games are old because we don't have a lot of the new hotness games. And until like, I don't know, five years or so ago, Euro games didn't care what they look like. They were just, hey, here's a box with some bits in it. Go have fun. But now with, you know, all the games looking good and art actually, you know, artists actually doing a good job, you got to kind of step up and make your game not look like a pile of poop. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably still play it, but other people would like it not to <laughs> I mean, be. Yeah, it's a, not going to stop me from playing it. That's for sure. A hideous pile of crap because, you know, people should people actually kind of do want to play good looking games. I imagine that. I don't, but people yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, we don't seem to, but there are others. I've heard. I've heard there's some people out there that like games that look nice. Yeah, I've heard of those. They're like Sasquatches. Oh, my gosh. No, we're not calling back to Sasquatch. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I, th- I think we've gone on long enough, people. <laughs> long enough. Uh, so before Jason starts saying other things and raving about colored pencils, I'm going to have to go receive my restraining order from the officer at the door um, while I had my Clemens Franz body pillow. He's probably got one for me, too, for Feld. <laughs> Although I've been backing off of Feld, so I think it's yeah, probably you, just you now. Yeah. Though, and there's still time. <laughs> Wonderland's probably, War, you're going to get crazy about that. I'm, that's true. Yeah. Manny Trimbley and the designers are going to come give me a... <laughs> A restraining order. Cease and desist. (laughs) All right. Well, I've been Katie. I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.